0: verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubled Ur of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. And so, Elijah realized, I have to not only confront the king, but I have to bring the people of God back. And so, and then that's where we begin in verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And we see that the, the leader of Israel had acquired of himself false prophets, a false religion. We go on to verse 21. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. These false prophets were doing a very dangerous thing. They were saying that Baal was God. Not good. Uh, False prophets promote what is false. Uh, They were not only saying that Baal was God, but that the people of God should follow after Baal. And the truth is that true prophets stand for God. And those who preach about a different God, they actually stand for the enemy. Jesus even warned of false prophets in Matthew 7. Beware beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And so a lot of times when you see a prophet who is promoting a false god, you're able to see that not only based on what they preach, but also based on how they live and if they're in sin. And the truth is that this text that we're looking at today actually has a lot of very, very practical implications in 2019. Because uh, I believe that the prophet, so the prophet in the Old Testament, they would hear the audible words of God, and then after they heard the audible words of God, they would preach the word to the people of God who is Israel. There are many believe uh, who believe that the pastor or the prophet is actually a foreshadow of the pastor today, where they hear the word of God through the Bible, and then they preach the word of God to the people of God, the church. And so where there are true prophets today, we also have to realize there are also false prophets today. And where there are true uh, pastors who preach the word of God, there are also false prophets who try to distort the word of God and also who try to cause people to worship a different God. And so it's good that we realize that false prophets stand for what is false. Now, you might ask the question, well, how can I know when I encounter a false philosophy or a false teacher? And the truth is the word is the key. The way that we know is through uh, feasting on the word. Uh, Raise the hands. Who saw The Matrix? All right. Great movie. So in The Matrix, uh, you have uh, people are born into a false simulation. They're born into a false reality And there's a moment where they are offered, you can either have the blue pill or you can have the red pill. The blue pill is that you stay in the false simulation and the red pill is that you're zapped out into reality. And more and more I've realized that the Bible is the red pill. The Bible is the thing that we have to make sure that as we feast on the word, that we would see it and so that we might feast on the word, that we might digest the word, that we might breathe the word, that we might drink the word, that we might sleep the word, that everything is that as we're, because the moment we leave here, we, we encounter so many false philosophies and false views. If it's on the internet or wherever it be, there are so many things that uh, might try to, to lead us astray. And so I just want to explain for a minute some characteristics of false prophets. Uh, they will deny that sin is sin. They will say that things that the Bible clearly says is a sin are not sin. And not only should you not feel bad about it, but you should actually embrace it and be excited. They will tell you that the things that the Bible calls sin are not actually sin. They will deny the judgment of God. Just like the first false prophet who denied the judgment of God, Satan in the garden. Satan is with Adam and Eve and he says, "You will not surely die if you eat of the tree." Notice that the first doctrine ever to be challenged was the doctrine of judgment. And so you see, false prophets will also deny the judgment of God. They will tell you to question the Word of God. They will tell you that there are errors all throughout of it. Uh, there are you shouldn't trust it because it's not literal. Or when he said that command, that was cultural. That's not what he meant. Uh, The idea of that we must realize that they will tell you to question the word of God. Just how Satan said, God did not surely say that. When we realize that he clearly did. They will deny sin. They will deny the judgment of God. They will tell you to question the word of God. They will tell you that Christ is a way. They will remove the word the, the way, and they'll say he's a way. And anyone who says that he is the only way to God is a bigot. They will say that. Uh, It's possible that they may try to entertain rather than uh, to preach the truth or convict. There's this great quote by Charles Spurgeon. This is so good. A time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. I thought that was so good. And the idea of that, that these are some different characteristics of false prophets. Now, you might ask the question, okay, but what's the big deal? Who cares? And, and that's a difficult question with a difficult answer. Because when we begin to be uh, almost, when, when we're taken away by false prophets, not only do they lead us astray, but they lead us to hell. They lead us to hell. We go on to Verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now, this is fascinating. So you have two groups of people. You have just Elijah, who is the only prophet left. And then you have the 450 prophets of Baal. Now, the shocking thing is that the most popular religion in all of Israel was actually the religion of the Baals. That was the most popular religion at that time in all of Israel. And it it shows us to realize that don't just follow the masses. Just because it is the norm to believe something does not mean that it's true. Just because it's popular doesn't mean it's true. Jesus also warned of this in Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the, gate is wide, uh, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So you have the false prophets uh, and then you have the true prophet. Elijah was the only true prophets, and usually it is the true prophets who are few and far between And so Elijah decides that he is going to have a contest. He decides, okay, well, clearly there are two people here, or two groups of people, and Israel is in this difficult place. And so Elijah gives one bull to himself and one bull to the 450 prophets. And both groups are to call on their God. And so the prophets of Baal go first. Uh, And I just uh, listed a few actions that the, the false prophets did. Uh, They called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. They said, oh, Baal, answer us. They limped around the altar. They cried aloud. This next part is really bizarre. They cut themselves with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them and they raved on. It's really sick stuff. And so Elijah then begins to mock them. He mocks them. He says, let's read verse 27. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or is he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. So he says he is musing. Maybe he's asleep or maybe he's thinking. And then he says, maybe he's going to the bathroom. I mean, talk about, this is, uh, this is trash talk. You know, this is terrible. Um, <laughs> and then he says, uh, maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's far away and ha- you know, hasn't returned. And then it says, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he has to come back. And it all comes to a shocking halt in verse 29 at the very end of verse 29, and I would say that the end of verse 29 summarizes all false religions. If there's anything that the Bible has to say about false religions, it's the end of verse 29. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. That it is only Christianity that there is a voice that someone answers and that someone pays attention. And that it is throughout all of the different false religions that we see those three and it's applied to them. There is no voice, no one answers, no one pays attention. Why? Because the the God of the Bible is the only God. He is the only God. There's only one God, the triune God. So firstly, false prophets stand for what is false. False prophets stand for what is false. Secondly, true prophets stand for what is true. And true prophets must stand against error. Uh, We are called to preach against what is false. Uh, We must stand for what is written. In the end of the day, the prophet, the pastor, the idea of it is this book. That anyone that says anything that refutes this book or anything like that should be corrected. We see 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us, here it is, not to go beyond what is written. That we would not go beyond what is written. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. And so that the true prophet stands for thus saith the Lord. It is written. So firstly, false prophets stand for what is false. Secondly, true prophets stand for what is true. Now we go on to verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Uh, In verses 30 to 35, Elijah rebuilds the altar. Uh, He puts uh, his bull on it and then drenches it with three jars of water. He's wanting to make sure that there's no way that the people of God would think that there's anything else going on than it is the power of God. And so he begins to drench it with water and to make sure that they're able to see that it is completely by the power of God. And we go on now to verses 36 and 37. Elijah's prayer. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And so one thing that the prophet did was that he would warn the people of the fire to come. But the other thing is that he longed to see the people of God to turn their hearts back to God, for God to turn their hearts back to him. Uh, When I was younger, uh, we had a lot of friends over at our house. I, I was pretty young. And uh, I went, I was walking downstairs and I saw a glow in the den. I was like, oh, this is cool. So I walk in and there were a bunch of candles that had been put in the den and I walk up and I, I, I kind of see, and one of our tables is just, it got caught on fire. And I'm like, that's not good. No. And so I'm looking at this going, whoa. So I like go into like where my parents are. And I started saying to everybody in the house, there's a fire in the den. There's a fire in the den. They're like, okay, sure there is. There's a fire. I was like, no, really, there's a fire in the den. And so finally my mom's like, okay, well, I'll come and see. You know, she goes over. She's like, whoa, there is a fire. You know, and so she calls my dad. She's like, you know, Dan, get the fire extinguisher. And so he grabs the fire extinguisher and he comes over and he, he basically, you know, extinguishes the fire and, and everything's fine. But in that, there are a few actions that the, the prophet is also to do that's like that. One is to warn of the fire that's in the den. That's one thing, to warn of the fire in the den. But not only should they warn of the, uh, warn of the fire, but they should also tell people how to extinguish the fire. And that is similar to the pastor today, that there is the warning of of the fire, the wrath of God, and yet also how to extinguish that wrath only by the blood of Christ. And so that idea of not only do we tell of the fire, but we also tell of how to extinguish the fire. And this is wonderful. I didn't see this until I was studying this passage, but the gospel is actually in verse 38. I've read this story for years and I have never seen it until just as I was preparing. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Instead of the fire falling on the people of God, the fire fell on the sacrifice that was put there. And in the same way that instead of the fire falling on us, it has fallen on Jesus Christ when he was on the cross. That instead of it falling on us, that it fell on that offering. John one twenty nine says the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and so you have the people of God and they every they deserved to have the fire rain on them but instead of it raining on them it rained on that sacrifice it rained on that offering. And I love this. Right after it falls on the offering, how do the people respond? And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Faith. They responded in faith so that the moment that they were able to see what Christ, or when they were able to see what God had done, that he had the fire fall down on the altar, that all they could do is get on their faces and say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They responded in faith. Now, the truth is that there is, there is bad news when it comes to the beginning of the gospel. The gospel. One of the reasons why we call it the good news is because of the bad news that's there before. And the truth is that uh, we have sinned against God, and uh, it, it's crazy that all it takes is if we have sinned once in our lives that the wrath is is on us. And so, so as we look at this, that we might see, uh, have we ever sinned in any way possible? Because God's perfection of good or God's definition of good is perfection. And so in order for us to be made right with God, we must be perfect. And yet, of course, we know that we can't be perfect. And so it was Christ who lived a perfect life and that on the cross, he died on the cross and then it is his perfection that is put on us when we have faith in him. And so I just want to ask the question, are there, is there anyone here today you might be in a place where you might There might be conviction in your life of sin. You might be asking the question, How can I escape the wrath? How can I escape the judgment of God? And it's crazy how simple it is. It's three words faith in Christ. That's it. Not works, not not anything, just faith in Christ. I want to read Galatians 2.16. The entire book is defending what the true gospel is. And it's not only until later in the book in chapter 2, verse 16, that it actually maps out for us what the true gospel is. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That it is three words, belief in Christ. Belief in Christ. And I just want to read verse 39 again, how they responded after the fire fell. And when all the people saw it, They fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So firstly, false prophets stand for what is false. Secondly, true prophets stand for what is true. And this third point is is hard to say, and yet we must see that it is in the word. Thirdly, false prophets will be slaughtered. We see in verse 40, And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. And you might say, that's so gruesome. Why is it so, why why would the word say that? And the truth is we have to realize, once again, the idea of being a false prophet is very, very dangerous for anyone who would follow after them. Because once again, it's not only that they lead us astray, but they lead us to hell. It's literally the idea of a false prophet slowly bringing us to the lake of fire. It's terrifying. And so because of that, whoever is doing the drawing, clearly there is a greater punishment for that person. It even says in James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I've heard uh, it said that there's, there's two lines in heaven. Uh, there's, uh, there's the, the line for uh, teachers and preachers and then there's the easy pass for everyone else. You know? And the idea of that, that there is such a warning uh, of, of that. And so we have to realize that another, uh, another role of the prophet was to bring the judgment of God to the enemies of God. The false prophets were the enemies of God. Jesus even says, woe to the one who temptation comes. Woe to the one so it is not a minor thing that the false prophets were doing, and so and, and even just looking at the, even looking at the New Testament, Romans to Revelation, uh, there were at least eight different epistles from Romans to Revelation that talks about false prophets, and one, uh, the book of Third John, actually addresses false prophets by name. And so firstly, false prophets stand for what is false. Secondly, true prophets stand for what is true. And thirdly, false prophets will be slaughtered. And just a, a few points of, of wrapping up as we close. Uh, as we go from this place, it's important for us to realize once again, the way that we can know uh, of false prophets on the internet and just in the world and uh, is by this book. By being Bereans. Because the more and more and more we study this word, uh, the Bereans were uh, in the book of Acts. Paul would preach the word and the, the church in Berea, would, they would literally look at everything he said to make sure that everything that he said was, was literal to the word. And so that we would be able to look at this wonderful word. And as so many places will try to offer us the blue pill, That we might realize this is the only red pill. This is the only way that we're able to see what is true. This is the reality. So, firstly, false prophets stand for what is false. Secondly, true prophets stand for what is true. And thirdly, false prophets will be slaughtered. Today, we looked at a true prophet who stood against false prophets. And by doing that, he called the people of God back to himself. And we even see the gospel in that passage. We see that the fire, instead of falling on the people of God, fell on the offering, fell on the sacrifice. And with that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the warning that it gives. Lord, might we be Bereans. Might we eat the word. Might we drink the word. Might we digest the word. Might we feast upon the word. And through all of that, might we discern what is true. Might we discern what is true. Lord, thank you for Elijah. Thank you, Lord, that he stood for what is true. And help us to seek you as we go throughout this next week in Jesus' name. Amen.